we try to do some type of communication work early within a practice through drills, whether it's cutoffs, relays, whether it's base running, whatever it might be, just mm-hmm. something that gets our guys engaged and forces them to talk, but also forces them to listen. You know, communication is also listening. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. On today's show, I welcome Casey Dunn, head baseball coach at Sanford University. Casey was named Sanford's head baseball coach in August of 2004, and at the time, he was the youngest head coach in Division I baseball. Under his leadership, the Bulldogs have posted 30-plus wins in 11 of the last 13 seasons. They have the most wins and best winning percentage by any Division I team in the state of Alabama, while averaging 35 wins a year since 2001. On the show, we discuss how he designed practices around communication and competition, and we do a deep dive into how they train hitters at Sanford. Here is Casey Dunn. Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. As I was stating earlier, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Adam Mosley, decided to put me in touch with you. He's, you know, ap- after every show, I usually ask, you know, who are some guys that I need to get on the podcast that are that are growth mindset and do a really good job. And uh, so he recommended you, and so I'm really excited to dig into what you guys are doing. And and but first, I would really like to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm sure our guests would too, but you know, what, what's your baseball background and, you know, why did you decide to get into coaching? <laughs> but Jonathan, I grew up in a baseball home. Uh, my dad was a 30 plus year coach at, at Bestavia high school here in Birmingham and, you know, very successful high school coach Won you know, a lot of state titles, national championships, and, mm-hmm. you know, been inducted to a lot of coaching hall of fame. So I was very blessed to, to grow up in, in a house with, someone that was really good at his profession, uh, but someone that also got a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment out of not just the, the coaching side, but being able to impact young guys, you know, especially at the high school level, being a positive influence and having seen the impact that my dad had through coaching and through the game of baseball. I think that's something that I, I kind of gravitated towards and knew that was something I wanted to go into and pursue one day. No, I love that. And I love that you're the son of a coach because you know i i have a son now and and one of the things that i worry about is me pushing baseball on him too hard and not letting him develop a love for the game uh like i had the opportunity to and and i'm so glad to hear that i mean is is that kind of a similar a similar mindset that your dad had as well you know you know i think my dad probably did push the game on me i don't think there's any question about that (laughs) and and you know it's something that i think uh you know as a parent and having a son and you know, kind of looking at that myself, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I ever had much of a choice other than to play baseball because it was something that was so involved within my family. You know, my dad played, coached, 
my uncle played, you know, played a little professionally, had cousins that played, you know, in college and beyond. So, you know, it's something that just kind of uh, absorbed me and it was part of who our family was. And, you know, again, I, I think the draw for me was, you know, it was also a way of spending time with my dad, you know, as a coach, Jonathan, I'm sure you had other guys and probably feel this way, but as a coach, it's, you know, it's tough to have a lot of family time with what mm -hmm. we do and, you know, growing up and having a close relationship with my dad, you know, going to the field, going to practice, going to the cage, you know, that was a way for me to spend time with my dad. And uh, I think that was something that really helped me get hooked on the game early as it was something that we could do together and, you know, something that, that I could do with someone that obviously I loved and cared deeply about. You know, that's fantastic. And I, and I, again, I love hearing that side of it just because it's something that is recently that I'll, well, that I'll be having to, to go through in the next couple of years and, you know, the next decade or so. But let's talk a little bit about you. And so you took over at Samford in 2004 and you're, you know, currently 15 seasons in. And if we could go back and we could turn back the clock a little bit and look to, okay, so you get the job and you, what were some of your different, your first steps that you took as the head baseball coach? Because Again, there are coaches listening that are going into their first season at, at you know at the time of, of this recording, and they they have all of these different things that they want to accomplish. So where did where did you start, and then what would your advice be for them? Uh, what would be the first couple of steps that you took? Well, I think you know the first thing you know when I took this job, you know I coached at a high school, Spain Park High School here in Birmingham for three years, and that was my coaching experience. So at 27 years old, taking over a Division One program. I guess it was a positive that I was very uh, probably a little bit arrogant, probably a little bit on the cocky side, thinking I had this stuff figured out. You know, sometimes I think that's probably a negative. And my case, as I started here, I think it was a positive because I was definitely well, way over my head to begin with, but I kind of felt like I could figure it out. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to have some people with me that, that were quality baseball folks, but none of us had experience at the division one level. So, mm -hmm. When we started here at Stanford and, you know, took over a program that had been struggling and uh, one that didn't have history or tradition or facilities, and, you know, it, it was a difficult job. But, you know, I was so excited to be here uh, at my age to have a chance to be a Division One head coach. The same with my assistants that were young guys that had never coached at this level. We never looked at the negatives. You know, I think people always would point out to us the challenges and the negatives about the job we took over. Uh, but for us, man, we, we were just so excited to be Division One coaches and to have our own program that we never looked at that what we didn't have. We were just so excited with the opportunity that we had. And I think, you know, that would be my advice to anybody young, anybody getting into it. it it's so easy to get trapped in what you don't have or get trapped in what other people have that you don't, but just, you know, focus on the advantages of where you're at. You know, there's positives to every situation. And, you know, I think just the excitement of what we had initially uh, allowed us to kind of start pushing and getting things moved in a positive direction. And, you know, you asked kind of what our vision was. Um, you know, I grew up in the state of Alabama. I, I played, you know, high school here in Birmingham, played collegiately at Auburn, was well-versed on the state from a baseball standpoint. And, mm -hmm. you know, we took over a program that would have been probably the bottom of the division one barrel in our state out of the nine schools. And, you know, our goal was to get to third, you know, and, and, you know, it may sound bad to say we only wanted to get to three, uh, but when we inherited this program and, you know, you've got two SEC schools within our state, 
you know, our goal was to be that third option. You know, hey, Alabama and Auburn's kind of got their thing, but, you know, we want to be the third option within the state. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we've either got into that point or we're awfully close to it now. Well, that's fantastic. And again, I, I love getting to hear, even though that was a few years ago, getting to hear the first steps because I, it can seem like a daunting task whenever you take a new job and you're trying to decide, you know, what's important to us. But let's go ahead and, and let's transition to the off season, which, you know, just got finished. But what did the fall look like for you guys? And, you know, what did you prioritize and how did you decide what was the most important to do this fall for this team? Well, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, you're talking about what's important for us. You have to identify the fall as the developmental time. Fall is not a period of time where you're trying to win games. So, you know, it's 100 percent about development. And as we kind of structure and we, we look at our fall, um, that's how we want to lay it out. So uh, we put a lot of time into what we do in the weight room. I believe the strength aspect of our sport is becoming more and more important, uh, both in terms of sheer strength and then also the, um, you know, the mobility gains that we can, we can get through a good weight program and training program. Um, so we, we stress the strength side, the mobility, that side of things. We put a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, we allocate a, a good portion of our time, you know, in terms of our hour limitations, you know, we, we give coach rolling who's our strength coach. We give him a good bit of time because I think players identify importance, which how much time you put into it. Uh, so we want them to understand that that is a priority for us. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to understand that there's going to be days that, at practice or within inner squads that, you know, guys may be a step slow or their velocity may be a tick down um, because we lifted really hard that morning or we lifted hard the day before and just, you know, not getting caught up necessarily in the result as much as just the process of what we're trying to develop and do. You know, the one thing we do a little differently in the fall uh, in terms of how we structure our practice is we actually practice early on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Mm -hmm. You know, we come in and our position guys actually lift at six in the morning and then we go out to the field about seven fifteen, seven thirty, depending on when they get done with the weight room and able to get nutrition back in them and, and get stretched and get out there. But you know, we do all of our work Tuesday and Thursdays in the morning. You know, by nine thirty all of our players have got a lift in and a practice in. And I think that is our fundamental days. You know, those are things that our players know on Tuesday and Thursdays. That is a time where we're really stressing the basic fundamentals. And, you know, we're going to teach off of things that maybe haven't gone well in scrimmages and, and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the Monday, Wednesday, Fridays during the team portion, those are kind of our inner squad days. Those are, you know, what I would say would be the traditional college practice, you know, take some BP, take some ground balls, scrimmage. Those are kind of our normal days. But I think one of the things that is a little different for us is what we do on those Tuesday and Thursday mornings in terms of, you know, really just stressing the, the individual needs of our guys. Sure. I, I love that. And, and again, it's really hard uh, to have that many players and to really individualize everything and talk with every single person on a daily basis as much as you'd like to. And so what are, what is some different advice that you would give, let's say to me, if I'm, if I'm coming into that setting and I've got, you know, 15 to 20 guys that I'm working with 15 to 20 hitters, what are some different ways that you've been able to still help them improve individually, but not, I guess, not being there in like the one-on-one -on -one lesson model? Does that, does that make sense? More of a, a like a team-based yeah, approach and it's really hard. And so I'd, I'm, I'd love to hear your advice on that. Yeah. I mean, the thing I tell our guys all the time is, is 
in the game of baseball, I think more so than any other sport, you have to take personal ownership in you. You have to invest in yourself. You have to have an understanding of where you are as a player, uh, both in terms of performance and fundamentals. And you have to have a direction that you're working towards. And, you know, early in the fall, one of the first things we do is, is we try to help our guys develop their own routine. Um, you know, it's you know easier probably on the hitting end than the pitching end to do that. But we really sit down with our guys as we're doing our, our small group work, our fundamental work those first few weeks. And we try to help our guys build their own plan. And we want them, at, whether it's at the start of the practice, most days, you know, before they come out to the field, uh, sometimes if they're running late practice from class, they may have to do it on the back end. But we want each of our guys to have kind of their daily developmental plan. You know, what drills do they do to help their specific needs? And we tell guys it should only be a 10 or 15 minute process. You know, we're not looking for something that's going to take up a half hour or an hour of their time. But we want a daily set of drills that they can go through in a 10 to 15 minute window that allows them to focus on their needs. Um, because when we get into the team structure, it is tough. It, it is tough to be individualized. It is tough to, you know, really focus on this guy's needs relative to someone else's. But I think if you can do a good job early, you know, in the group practice, once you get into the team portion and that guy has an understanding of his needs. He has a routine that fits what he needs. You know, that's a 10, 15 minute daily reminder that can help build upon that skill set. Oh, that's fantastic. And is it something that you change every couple of weeks? Is it something that you change once a year? I mean, uh, I'm trying to envision this and and you and this is what I would get, you know, from the amateur side with uh, the high school players that I'm working with right now is that they would do the drills that make them look better in practice or they would do the drills that they're good at. <laughs> Right. And I'm sure you run into that, some yeah. of that stuff as well. So no, and, take us through think, that process. Well, I mean, I think you're, you're always evolving in terms of what you do, but I tell guys, you know, I, I love to, you know, to, to listen to guys talk baseball, but, you know, and talk hitting, talk pitching with people. I mean, I enjoy that, but the thing I like best, and I think, you know, I get the greatest value of out of this time in my life is watching guys that do it at an elite level. And, I tell people, you know, I've been fortunate to know some guys who've been big league hitting coaches and, and been able to get, you know, in the cages with those guys, get on the field for BP before games and that kind of stuff. And the one thing that always jumps out to me is all of those guys who are elitist at what they do, they all have their own routine. They all have their own plan. And it becomes something that, that is structured for who they are. And it's something they can always go back to. Uh, and that's what I tell our guys, you know, I mean, a lot of those drills are going to be things that we're working on to improve or to make changes or adaptions. But the biggest thing, too, is, is when we have that bad day, we have that 0 for 4 game. I've also got something I can do for 10 or 15 minutes after that crappy game mm -hmm. that helps me get grounded and get focused back on what I need to do to be successful. And, um, you know, and I think that's the focus, man. And, and so we, we do adapt. We do adjust. Um, but I really want that to be a routine that can be consistent and something that we don't change much. You know, we may tweak something here and there, but I want it to be a consistent because I want it to be something that when things are going good, things aren't going well, that we can always go back to. And it provides kind of a security blanket, so to speak, that, hey, man, when, when I'm in my routine, when I'm going well, this is what I do. 
And uh, those guys always have something to fall back to. I love that. And so let's let's uh, rewind again for our listeners. So whenever you took the job, you said that it it wasn't the most appealing job in the world, I think, or you said it was kind of at the bottom of the conference at the time. And obviously, you've done a great job and it's not anymore. But what did the, what did it look like whenever you were trying to sell the program and sell your vision and build the culture and the environment that you've got now? And how did that how did that transition look like from whenever you first started it to now you you know you add some different things, but you've been there long enough to where I'm sure if I walked in the door, I could feel, I could smell, I could I could understand what Samford was all about. But what were some different things that you that you guys did to build that up? But I tell you, you know, we, we tell people all the time when we first started here uh, with the recruitment, because, you know, you've got to have good players in this. We we talked very little baseball when we first came to Sanford from the mm-hmm. recruiting standpoint. But what we were blessed with was an outstanding academic school with a Christian, you know, a Christian environment, great university. We have a beautiful campus. We're in a great city. Like there were a lot of positives that we could sell to kids. And more importantly, at that time, to family you know, about providing an opportunity for a great Christian education in a safe, nurturing environment. And, and we just stress that. And, you know, as we were able to get good players because of what the university had to offer, you know, slowly over time, we, we got better on the field. And, you know, as, as we improved on the field, you know, the university was supportive of helping us grow and, you know, try to head in the right direction toward the vision that we had and, you know, and now, you know, the recruiting process, you know, fortunately, we're able to talk baseball success, uh, but we still focus on what really makes Stanford special and unique. And, and that is the university, you know, that is the academic culture, it's the spiritual culture, and it gives us something different from most of the other schools that we recruit against. Oh, fantastic. And another thing that, that I really, I love to be able to integrate is compet- uh, competition and, and really everything that we do, just because I mean, we're, we're baseball coaches. Our players are baseball players. We love to compete. So what are some different ways that you guys try and integrate that? And are, are there any, are there any fun ones that, that you wouldn't mind sharing with us today? You know, I think there's, there's probably a couple of things that we do and I really don't know if they're unique or anything like that. I don't think they are, you know, cause one of the things that, that, that I stress to our players is I want guys in our program that are competitive with themselves. Uh, I want guys that are self-motivated. You know, you can have a guy or two on your team that that you have to motivate or you have to push them to compete. But if you have a team full of those kind of guys, I don't think you're going to be very good. Um, So we want guys that are self-competitors, you know, that just they compete naturally regardless of what the task is. You know, whether it's supposed to be a competitive task or not, you know, we want them to be competitive in what they do. You know, we, we do some of the stuff, you know, from a pitching in, you know, we do the, the running pull downs and, you know, Coach Trout, our pitching coach, will crank up the music and put the, you know, the radar display board up and those guys get after it and have a good time with it. Um, you know, we'll set up the, the velo display for, you know, batting practice sometimes and, you know, let guys try to see how hard they can hit the ball for bat. Um, you know, probably the one thing I guess we do from a winning standpoint, um, you know, we break up mo- almost all of our scrimmages into segments. Okay. Uh, you know, if we're going to play a nine-inning scrimmage, we're going to play three three-inning games uh, just to kind of force it to be more competitive. I think, you know, obviously our, our players today, and I'll include myself as a coach in this, uh, you know, we have a short attention span. So, you know, 
you know, that long inner squad day is long for everybody, but, you know, we'll break our scrimmages up into shorter segments and, you know, try to make it a best of three type environment um, so that our guys have more opportunities to compete within the scrimmage and just, Hey, we got to win the nine inning game, but, you know, now we got to win two of the three short, short scrimmages within it. All of that. I've never heard that before, but that, you know, that makes a ton of sense. And I, Obviously, consider that one stolen by myself and probably a lot of our listeners. And no, that's really good. And so another thing that that I'm that I'm trying to get better at, just because you know, whenever I was a whenever I was a player, we never the the best coaches that I was around, we we had a relationship with them. But I was kind of in that in that mix of okay, these are old school coaches, and it's transitioning to you know working with millennials who want collaboration and who want relationships. And so I'm always trying to add you know tools to the toolbox from that. But what are some different ways that you develop personal relationships with your players, and then to help them develop as a person uh, individually? I think you know one one of the things that you know, that again, just inherently we, we have here at Stanford is being a Christian university. We have an opportunity of, of sharing our faith as coaches and, and exposing our guys um, to faith growth opportunities. Um, you know, we, we do service work as a team. You know, a couple of years ago, we, we used the international opportunity to take our team to the Dominican Republic through a company called Score International, which is a sports outreach organization and went to the Dominican, played some baseball, but truly you know, shared the gospel uh, down there. And it, it was really neat to see our guys kind of open up and come out of their shells in some tough situations um, and really share who they were. And I think, you know, the team growth of that event, uh, seeing their teammates, you know, exposed and, and you know, in a vulnerable spot, I think did a lot for our club. Um, you know, this year we're going to go and, you know, spend a weekend at a little camp retreat type area and do some service work and some mission work. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are things that, you know, may be bit more difficult other places, but I think, you know, exposing our guys to mission opportunities does a lot for their personal growth and, you know, spiritual growth as well. Um, and then, you know, just, you know, being with our guys, letting them, you know, be a part of who we are as a family and, um, you know, you have the word family thrown out a lot in, in sports and athletics. So if we want a family environment and I tell our guys, I, I, I don't want a family. I want a team. And I think, you know, by using the term family so much, we devalue what it means to be a team. And um, and we want to be a team with our guys, but we want to open up our families, our coaches, families to our players. You know, my I have two children. Coach Trout's got a son. Coach David's got three. I mean, Coach Moss, our other assistant's about to have his first child. But everybody really affiliated with our program is married with families. And um, and we want our guys to realize that our families support them. Uh, they're a part of, of our life. I, I tell my players all the time that, you know, winning and losing games, not only do they uh, dictate their happiness and mine, they, they also impact the happiness of my wife and children because, uh, if we lose, I probably don't come home in the best of moods and probably impacts the rest of my family. So, uh, you know, but just letting them know that, man, you know, we're all in this thing together, uh, I think is the first step because, you know, kids aren't dumb, man. They, they see through the fluff. And, you know, I would tell you, we don't do a lot of the, what I would consider the fluff, motivational team building type stuff. You know, when you talk about building culture, I, I don't think you can artificially, instill culture in a program i think it's got to be natural 
um, because I think these young guys, man, they're too smart. They're going to see through what, you know, what you're trying to do if, if it's not genuine. And uh, we just want to make sure that our guys see that we're all in this together and provide opportunities for them to serve and, and to be with each other, serve together, and, um, and not be afraid to let down their guard sometimes. And I think as a coach, that's the hardest thing to do is to, you know, let down your guard as a coach um, to let let your players see that you are vulnerable in times too. And um, I think when they see that you're genuine with what you're doing, I think it's a lot easier to build that personal relationship. No, I'm definitely with you. And I think that that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, another thing that I, I look at a head coach and I think, you know, he's, he's not only growing players, he's also growing future head coaches. And one thing that, that I am trying to learn more about is do people do that, you know, organically by setting an example or, and there are some coaches who are very intentional about, Hey, this is a head coach moment. What would you do? You know, how do you develop your assistant coaches or prepare them to someday be head coaches? I think, you know, I mean, it's, you know, if you're going to help someone, you know, who is aspiring to take that next job, I think you have to mold how to do it the right way. And, uh, you know, whether the way I do it is right or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, my intention is to model, uh, something that, that others hopefully could use and, and move on from. And then just knowing what they want. You know, I think that's the biggest thing as a head coach is you have to know what the guys that work with you, uh, what their goals are, what they aspire to be, because not everybody has the same aspirations. Um, but, you know, if, if you know where they're trying to get to, where they want to do, then, you know, I, I feel like in my case, at least, I'm better able to help and to serve them to get that next step. But you know, in terms of helping them prepare and move forward, I think it's about providing them opportunities to be involved, to be a part of major decisions, to, you know, whether it's the fundraising or the, you know, the dealing with budget restrictions or scholarship numbers, whatever it might be, you know, making sure that those guys have an active role in the whole part of the program. Um, because, you know, for, for whether it's the volunteer assistant trying to be a full-time guy that, may not have recruiting experience or the assistant that's trying to be the head coach, but's never had to work with budget issues. And, you know, making sure that when that guy sits in on an interview, whether he's been the one in charge of it or not, he's at least been a part of it to where he can, you know, answer those questions from an AD or from another head coach and, and have a good understanding of at least how we do it in our program. I love that. And again, it's, it's something that I've never been a head coach, so I, I don't know. And so one of the things that that's one of the things that I really like to to see the different sides of it, because, again, you you are the head of the program and people come to you for questions and answers and just all I guess all of the above everything under the sun. And so another thing that I really like to see, because we're we're looking from the outside in and what uh, and so you show up and you've got a new recruiting class and you guys are going over just your different standards, your different rules, and, and they may have may or may not have already heard them uh, whenever you were recruiting them. But what are some different rules or standards that you have in your program? And again, you love your players. You talked about them being family. You talked about them being a team. But you're like, hey, okay, guys, I love you guys, but here's the line and here are some different things that that are expected of you. And what would those be? I think one thing I think our guys will told you, if they asked you what our team rules would, they would have an awkward pause because we really don't have any. Okay. Um, you know, the one thing I, I tell our guys is you rep- you have to represent our program as you would your family, uh, as you would yourself, your mom and dad, your last name, like 
that's how you should represent this program because your actions and what you do reflect upon us. And we're fortunate here at Sanford that we get good kids. Uh, I may not have 35 saints and angels, but I've got 35 guys that, that have been taught the difference in right and wrong. And, um, you know, I can't remember a time in my 16 years where we've had a guy make a poor decision. And when we, we met about it and, you know, we went over their mistakes, I can't remember a time where one of our guys said, well, why can't I do that coach? Mm-hmm. You know, they know right and wrong. And I think that's what I tell our guys. Like, like you know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. You know, it doesn't mean they're not going to make the bad, you know, the wrong choice from time to time. But, you know, the, the only expectation I have for our guys is that they have to represent our program with the utmost respect. They have to make decisions that reflect positively upon Sanford baseball. And if they treat it as what, what would they do to represent their mom and dad in the same way, uh, then typically that's going to lead to a positive decision. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I, I love, you know, obviously hearing about that. And I think that my head coach that I work for now, Sean Newkirk, talked about fewer rules because you don't want to box yourself in. And his two rules mm-hmm. are be on time, be on time to everything that we do and do things right, which is, you get, mm-hmm. again, you know sure. as well as I do that they know right from wrong. Yeah, and let's go ahead and skip to the spring, which, uh, again, for our listeners, they may be listening in January, they may be listening in March, right in the middle of the season, but what does a typical practice plan look like for you? And again, you're you're the head coach, so you're putting this together, and if I'm the hitting coach, I'm one, I'm pulling for more hitting time, and a pitching coach is probably the same way, but how have you, how have you found to have an efficient practice, and, and what does that look like? I think, you know, the, the first thing is you have to know what, what do you want to stress that day? Um, you know, I'm not a guy that, you know, I believe that within a good practice plan, we can touch on everything. Um, but we've got to be able to have our focus points each day. Um, for us, typically, what I feel like is the most important, I'm going to put at the end of practice. Um, that may be a little different than some, but you know, I, I believe at the end of practice, when guys are a little fatigued, they may be ready to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most challenging time of practice. And whatever I think is the most important thing that we're going to work on that day, I'm going to put at the end. I want them to have to do it uh, when we are tired, when we are fatigued, when maybe we are losing some focus. Um, because, you know, when we get in the game, names are won and lost at points of fatigue. You know, they're at points of stress. So, uh, you know, we kind of, whatever the most important thing to me that day, I'm going to typically put at the end of a practice, but, um, you know, typical practice for us, we, we, we usually start with some type of communication work, um, you know, of, you know, kind of the, the Casey pet peeves of today's kids. Guys don't communicate well. Guys don't talk the game well. You know, even guys that are vocal, if you listen to what they say, it's, you know, you want to slap them sometimes, to be honest with you, Jonathan. You know, it's like, man, we're talking to talk, but, you know, let's be productive. You know, I want vocal guys, but, man, I want to be productive. So we try to do some type of communication work early within a practice through drills, whether it's cutoffs, relays, whether it's base running, whatever it might be, just mm-hmm. something that gets our guys engaged and forces them to talk, but also forces them to listen. You know, communication is also listening. So, um, you know, we try to, to kind of introduce that early. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing when you talk about a time issue is the early work. You know, mm-hmm. things that our guys can do individually on their own before we start. Uh, and like I said, sometimes in the college setting, man, it 
guys are hustling to get here on time from class. So, um, you know, they may have to do some stuff on their own after practice, but, you know, there are things that each of our guys, you know, are going to do on a daily basis that they've got to do on their own. Uh, one, because of the limitations we have on hours and right. two, you know, some guys' schedules are different than others and it gives them a little bit of freedom uh, to get their individual work in at times that may be a little more efficient based around their class schedule. Definitely. And uh, again, I love uh, hearing of on the offensive side. So uh, this may be really creative. This may be not creative, but obviously you're 15 years in. So you've kind of honed in BP in a way that that is most helpful for your team. But give us a picture of what your BP setup looks like. Uh, I think one thing is I typically always throw on the field. You know, to me, as a guy that, that likes to work with hitters, I can tell a lot when I throw to them. Uh, I feel like I can also control, you know, where I throw the baseball, depending on what I want that guy to work on. Uh, if he has a flaw that we're trying to work on, I can also expose that flaw in a BP setting uh, to kind of show him that, hey, man, you've got to make this adjustment. Um, so, you know, one thing I, I do believe that, you know, there can be a lot of instruction, a lot of knowledge gained if you're the guy throwing, uh, more so than standing off to the side or behind and watching. Uh, and then, you know, kind of what the BP setting looks like, I think, again, it depends on what we're trying to work on. Um, you know, if it's really, uh, you know, some days may be a situational day and, and we'll kind of structure all the stations through it. Um, you know, some days we may want to really, maybe we're struggling defensively. So the BP may be really set up as a defensive drill, um, you know, letting our guys play balls more live in the field. You know, some of the things that we do, I guess, every day, we try to hit on the field every day in some capacity. Okay. And, uh, you know, like I said, it may be a traditional BP. It may be, you know, like I said, you know, we're hitting balls from a defensive standpoint, but we're going to swing on the field at some point every day, weather permitting. The other thing that, that you'll see every day within our BP setting, and, you know, it may be station oriented, but we're going to do something that, that helps with change of speed speed variance we're going to do something where we're having to alternate between hard and soft okay. uh, i feel like that's the you know the biggest thing that gets guys at our level is, is the timing aspect and being able to adjust you know from the fastball to the all-speed pitch so pretty much every bp setting there will be a station that is focused on you know a hard soft or a change of speed type uh, approach and some days that may be what we're doing on the field live uh, where it may be in a cage environment. Uh, the other thing, you know, that, that we do that, you know, you would notice is we take short rounds, you know, typically we're going to take rounds of four would not take a round higher than six. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we like to take shorter rounds, uh, kind of maximize those swings, get out and jump back in and kind of, you know, maybe a few more rounds, but shorter reps in during those rounds. I love that. And again, thank you for, giving us a peek in, inside what that would look like on a daily basis for you. And, you know, uh, another thing that I really, I love to dig in with, with, especially with coaches who are, who have as much wisdom and experience as you is, is what are you learning about? And, and so what is something that you've learned lately that's, that's, you know, kept you and kept you excited about the game and is pushing you forward? Man, I, I think the, 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 probably the thing that we've gotten into, you know, really last year that we're still, trying to figure out the best way to implement it within our program uh, would be the own base U program. If you're familiar with that and 
you know, I sent one of my assistants to get certified uh, this time a year ago. And, you know, I think just the mobility aspect is, you know, a lot of the things that are, quote, new out there from the technology and things, I, I struggle with not what it is or what it means, but how do you apply it to actually help someone get better? Mm-hmm. But I think with the on-base you, the mobility aspect, and I think that's easy to apply. It's easy to understand. It's, you know, it's easy to be able to come up with drills to give your guys to improve and to help them. Um, and, you know, when we talk, you know, we talked several times about developing kind of an individualized routine for each guy, well, part of our players' individualized routine are going to be some mobility drills based on that on-base use screening. So um, that's something that I think is still relatively new out there. And for us, uh, you know, we're still trying to develop the best way of really implementing that with our players to help them see improvement. I love that. So my next question, and, and again, we just we ventured into the lightning section, so I'll I'll be brief with my replies, but uh, I'll be hitting with you, hitting you with some quick hitters here. What right. if if you showed up tomorrow and you told your guys, or you, or you sent them a text the night before and said, "Hey guys, I I want you to run practice tomorrow. Let's do some things that you love to do." What do you think those things would be? I think the first thing uh, would be they would hit on the field. Uh, you know, I think all guys like to swing on the field, man, see the ball go over the fence, try to hit it in the trees. You know, I think that's something that, that guys enjoy doing. And, you know, when you talk about maximizing practice and being efficient, it's easy to get trapped and just taking a lot of cage swings. So, you know, I think that's something, again, we're going to hit on the field in some capacity every, every day. The other thing is I think letting our guys hit to our guys from a defensive standpoint, you know, our, our infielders love it when, you know, I say, hey, man, outfielders at your spots, infielders, man, we got to hit as many fly balls as we can. And, you know, those guys trying to see how high and how far they can hit it and make our outfielders run and, you know, vice versa when the outfielders get to hit live ground balls to the infielders and, uh, you know, see how hard they can hit it and stuff. So uh, I think guys like to push each other. And I think that's what you see, you know, if you say what, what do guys like? And I, I still think guys like to work and mm-hmm. they like to push each other. And, um, you know, I, I think if we gave them the option, you would see them kind of pushing each other through the practice. Well, fantastic. So my next one is, again, you've got you know, almost 20 years of, of experience in, in the coaching realm. What is something that you tr- tend to believe that other coaches may disagree with you or debate with you about? <laughs> You know, man, I, I don't know if there's anything that, that I kind of think that's way out there. You know, one thing that I think I probably have a different opinion on than some is a lot of this, quote, new stuff that's out there. And, you know, with the enhanced video and all the technology and all the metrics we're getting on players, uh, I don't think it's that new. You know, I think it, sure. it really falls back to a lot of the basic fundamentals that have been taught for years. Uh, you know, it's another way to see it. It's another way to look at it. Uh, I think a lot of times with the, the athlete we're dealing with now, it's the way they want to learn. Um, but I really don't know if it's new, you know, okay. and, and that's, you know, I mentioned the on-base you earlier. I mean, a lot of the fundamentals and the things that they're teaching through those mobility adaptions, man, those are things that coaches have been seeing that with their eyes and making those changes for years and didn't need a screen to do it. Sure. Uh, but this is, you know, now we've got a better mechanism, I think, to, to teach and explain it to those guys. Uh, you know, I, I love it when, you know, pe- people talk about the newness of the weighted ball and the long toss and different programs. 
was like, man, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, throwing weighted balls, you know, 40 years ago almost, <laughs> you know, like they, they've been around, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a new thing, but people have just, you know, have a better understanding now. We can test it now. Um, I think we can put together probably better programs of how to utilize some of these things. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really know if, if all this new is really new or if it's just a different way of describing it and seeing it. I love that. And, and again, that's, that's, it's kind of a loaded question, but we all ha- find things that make our programs unique and help us to win, whether or not they may or may not work in another program. And so that's a uh-huh. really good answer. And it's something that I've, you know, I've started to use more cues that I used my first couple of years that I was like, oh, that's completely wrong. And then I, there's a reason why things, you know, some things change and some things stay the same. So I'm right there sure. with you. Uh, Casey, if we came to practice tomorrow, what do you think would be a couple of things that would stand out or a couple of things that we would notice about how you run practices or just about the tempo? One thing for me, I think that I would notice that you guys are communicating at the very first of practice. That's something that I wrote down that I thought was really good. But what, what else do you think that we would notice? You know, the, the things that I would hope you would notice, one is that, that it would be a vocal practice, whether it's, you know, our coaches giving feedback. You know, one of the things that, that I believe from just you talking about this, this age of athlete and, and students that we're working with is they want instant feedback. You know, they're not, we don't deal with a group of kids that want feedback tomorrow. They want it right away. So one of the things that, that I hope you would notice is our coaches providing feedback constantly, you know, hopefully reinforcing the positive a lot is what I'd hope you would have. Uh, but also, you know, when guys make mistakes, man, trying to correct it on the spot, you know, trying to make that cue and, you know, maybe not slowing down practice to dig deep, but at least pointing out, hey, here's what we got to work on, man, or here's why that happened. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing I hope you would see is our guys are constantly moving. You know, I, I don't believe we can be very efficient with our time if we're standing there watching. You know, there's times where we can watch other athletes and that can help us. But I want our guys active. I want them engaged. And, uh, you know, I think if, if we can keep them moving, we can keep them active. It's easier for them to focus on what they're doing. Fantastic. And my final question, you know, you've, you're have you well-versed in the baseball world and you've seen a lot of things come and go. You've probably dug into thousands of resources in your career, which, again, it, it, having that wisdom in the game is is so valuable. But where would you send us if we were, if we wanted to know what are some different books or resources that have helped you with your coaching career, whether that's early on or, or even uh, this week or yesterday? Man, I, I am bad when it comes to reading. Uh, so I really can't help a whole lot right there, man. Uh, you know, resources wise, you know, the thing that, that I, I've always done and I still do is, man, I pick up the phone and call people. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to go meet with people. Uh, and, and use the term meeting loosely. It's more about just watching and observing. Sure. Um, you know, I really like to talk to other coaches. I like to observe how people do things um, because that's the way I learn. You know, I think that's it, who I am. And, you know, we can talk fundamentals. We can talk about strategy or philosophies. Uh, but, man, I want to know how to implement it. I want to mm-hmm. know what guys are doing that is helping that kid get better or what they are doing to help that team become more of a team. And I think you need to see it a lot of times. So, you know, my, I guess my one thing would be, you know, don't be afraid to call people. Don't be afraid to go watch guys work. 
you know, I, I tell people, man, if you're going to be in the coaching profession, you've got to learn to be, uh, to be able to be told no, mm-hmm. whether it's a uh, begging your AD to buy you something or, uh, recruiting a kid or, you know, asking for help, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with somebody telling you no, if you've asked the right question. So, you know, I encourage people to reach out, you know, the one book that, that I did look, uh, read through recently was a book called Relentless going from good to great to unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a kind of a, a saying in our program, you know, we, we don't want to be good. We want to be great. You know, there's a lot of good out there. We want to be great and trying to push to that point and not to discredit the, the book itself. But, um, you know, I'll share with our guys when we get back from the holiday, literally the introduction in the first chapter is all I'm going to share with them and I'm going to have them listen to it. And, you know, it just talks about the guys that are at our elite don't settle uh, and they push themselves and uh, they challenge themselves to be great and to be special. And, um, you know, like I said, the book itself was fine, but, you know, I really thought that the the introduction in the first chapter really kind of said, you know, what I want my players to hear. Um, so I, you know, I, I thought that was a good read. Um, but the biggest thing is, man, reach out to people that are good at what they do and try to spend time with them, try to observe and watch them work. And uh, I think that's when you'll uh, really grow. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I don't think that I could really close out the show in any better way than that. But I know that there will be some listeners who would love to get in touch with you. And what would be the best way to do so? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way is email. You know, my email is listed off of our website at sanfordsports.com. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good uh, with replying to emails and uh, you know, I think that's the, the first way to, uh, the easiest way to make a connection and then we can follow up from there. Well, fantastic. Well, Casey, I really do appreciate your time. And I know this time of year around the holidays is super valuable. And so I'm, I'm so thankful that you were able to hop on the mic and share so much of, of the wisdom that's gotten you where you are today. And I just want to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, man, I just appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, anytime I have a chance to talk about Stanford baseball and Stanford University and hopefully expose our brand and our university to uh, to people that may not be familiar with us, I uh, just appreciate that opportunity. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.